This is Brain Diet, episode 147, Health Myths. I love so much focusing on the food we feed our body, but I love even more focusing on the stuff we feed our brain. My name is Taylor Ann Macy, and I am a certified life coach. Welcome to Brain Diet, where we feed your brain the best information. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Today, we are talking about health myths. Now, the health myths that I will be sharing with you today are just in regard to general health and general weight loss. But something that I have created that I want to share with you is three of the big myths when it comes to autoimmune disease diet protocol. So I created a free download for that where I debunk the three major myths that I see, uh, typically because when someone is diagnosed, it seems like there is a lot of information available about what protocol to follow, what you might need to avoid and all the things. And a lot of it can be really helpful, but there are just a few core foundational myths that it's helpful to just clear up out the gate so that you aren't having to navigate some of that information, believing some of these things, because it can really complicate an already overwhelming situation. So if you're interested in getting that free download, you can look for that in the show notes. It's just a link that you can click on and get that download. In addition to that, I've talked about a little bit, um, I have just created a Facebook group for people in this community of autoimmune diseases who are looking to find other people to uplift, to inform, and to find support. And so I have created the Facebook group called Autoimmune Warriors Diet Protocol. And if that is something you are interested in joining, you can also find the link for that in the show notes. So be sure to check out both of those things if that is something that you are interested in. So with that, let's talk about some of the common health myths that are so prominent in the world of health and nutrition and fitness. What this all comes down to is that health and the science of weight is more boring than I think people want it to be. Certain things in fitness and nutrition can get sensationalized for financial gain. It can get sensationalized for the idea that someone doesn't want to take responsibility for how boring health is, and it's just a matter of consistency and patience. And so they want to blame something else and demonize something else and just remain a victim and remain powerless to their own ability to influence their health. That's another reason. And another reason that I see why things can be sensationalized or really drastic in the health and fitness world is that people have a great urgency to change. They have a great urgency to lose weight or a great urgency to look a different way. And there can be a variety of reasons for this. But sometimes when people are so eager for a change, then they are willing to subscribe to these ideas that are extreme and albeit unsustainable. And so those are kind of the reasons that I see for why there are so many different claims made. And I see them every single day. It's really interesting as like I scroll through news feeds or if I even just 
pull up my Google app to Google something, there are constantly titles that are trying to get you to click. And I understand that as an element of business, but I think that for someone that maybe doesn't have the information and education when it comes to basic standards of health, these things can be very influential in how you approach your health. And it'll be things like, I'm a nutritionist and these are the five foods I never touch, right? So look at like how there's demonizing, how it's looking at one specific factor as being the problem. And of course it piques your curiosity because if someone's claiming to be a nutritionist, then they must have a background. And if there are foods that they won't touch, then that must mean that we shouldn't touch them either, right? And I have never seen an article like that that has actually been rooted in the science of it. It has all been to gain clicks, to gain online traffic. And again, I can understand that as a business element, but I think it's important that we educate ourselves so that we don't fall prey to those articles that can be very harmful to how we view health, how we view weight loss, and how we view our own bodies. So I have a couple of myths today that I want to break down in order to hopefully do that, to create a little bit more education, to equip you to better navigate all of the things that are flashing in our face constantly when it comes to health and weight and fitness, especially as we approach the new year. This is the time for all of these types of things to really amp up. And again, that's fine. People are allowed to do what they're going to do. But when you can come in prepared with a toolkit for how to navigate these things, it can make it a little bit easier. And you know, take some of that burden off of yourself that these things can often create. So the first myth is actually one that might surprise you, but the myth is that exercise is the main factor for whether a person loses weight. So this is kind of a trend that I have seen on TikTok where people will do these transformation videos that's over a period of time and it's videos of them exercising and sweating and you know, physically working very hard in the name of losing weight. And exercise does contribute to the calories you are burning, but in a day, it is actually a very small percentage of the calories that your body burns. So I'm going to break it down here. Just by existing, if you were to lay flat and not move, just by existing as you are, your body requires so many calories. It's a really significant amount. And by existing, those calories go to just basic survival functions, right? And so we have that huge portion that makes up just being alive. Just being a human requires a lot of calories. And then we add on the movement throughout the day that isn't necessarily exercise, but it is physical movement on top of existing. It's talking with our hands. It's shaking our legs. It's a few steps from here to there. It's blinking our eyes. It's different, more subtle movements. Those also contribute to the calories that is required to just exist and stay the same. So that makes up a bulk of how many calories that you require in a day to stay roughly the same. And so then at the top of this pyramid is a small percentage that's going to be how many calories that you burn from exercise. Say you exercise for 30 minutes, say you go on a, you know, two mile jog or something along those lines. 
the exercise that you are doing does contribute to how many calories your body is burning, but the percentage of its contribution to an overall caloric total is actually relatively small. And then there's also the part of our body that burns calories in the digestion of food. And protein has the highest amount of calories burned in the digestion of it as compared to carbohydrates and fats. And so that's another reason why it can be a really powerful macronutrient to ingest is because you burn the most calories just in digesting it as compared to other macronutrients. And so then after that is when exercise comes in. I want to make that clear that there are a couple of different pieces that create the bulk of how many calories you use in a day. And exercise is actually really small. And so when people tout exercise as the solution for weight loss, there is a little bit of lacking information. Now, of course, exercise is extremely valuable. It can be very helpful for exercise. It is also imperative for body composition and body composition shift, if if that's something that you're trying to create. So I'm in no way saying that exercise doesn't matter. I think that this is just a common myth that it's important to understand that what matters most is the amount of calories that you are eating. And that's something that I'll get into in just a minute here, but that's going to be what matters most, not whether or not you exercised today. So keep that in mind as you see people exercising and creating these physical transformations. That's actually a small percentage of what's contributing to their weight loss. If they are losing weight, it is it has to equate to calories because calories are what manipulates your body and its size. So that's the first myth. Exercise is the main factor for whether a person loses weight. That is in fact not true. It is not the main factor. The next myth is that you can gain fat from one meal. This is something, especially in the holidays, it's like Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve dinner or whatever it might be for you that people can get a little bit nervous about thinking, if I eat this meal, then I'm going to gain fat. Now, it's important to remember that scale fluctuations are normal. And if you do eat a little bit more than typical, then there are a number of reasons that the scale would go up. But none of them, or at least very rarely, (laughs) would it ever equate to fat gain. So scale fluctuations are normal. It's just like a bank account. And we put things in, we take things out, and it's constantly changing. That's just part of being alive. But... In regard to gaining fat, that is something that is incredibly difficult to do in one meal. And let's talk about why. So I just broke down all of the ways that our body burns calories just to stay the same, right? We have the calories from existing. We have the thermic effect of food, which is the calories we burn in digesting of it. And then we have exercise on top of that. And then are just other basic movements throughout the day. All of those things alone require so many calories in order for you just to stay the same, for your body to stay at the same weight and the same body composition. In order to gain fat, you would need to eat in a single meal 3,500 calories roughly over that already existing amount. So let's say you are burning your total daily energy expenditure, meaning all the calories that are required to be you, would be 2000 calories. Let's say that that is your total daily energy expenditure. If you ate 2000 calories, you would roughly stay the same. And in one meal, you would have to eat 3500 roughly over that already existing 2000 calories in order to gain a pound of fat. And typically, that's just not something that we do. I mean, people have done it, sure. But it's actually pretty difficult to consume 
that amount of calories in a single meal. So it's important to remember that whatever meal you have, it's very, very, very unlikely that you would ever gain fat from that single meal. And again, the body might bloat, you might have some water retention, you might have, you know, some digestion, maybe some inflammation, uh, digestive issues, some inflammation, there might be something that does cause the scale to change and even cause the physical appearance of your body to change. But that isn't because there has been fat gain. It's just because of a outlier of a meal that is atypical to your typical, atypical to your typical eating schedule. The next myth that I want to debunk is that certain foods cause weight gain. Like, oh, if I eat those foods, I gain weight. Or, oh, those foods are, you know, going to make me fat. If it isn't clear up until this point, what matters for weight gain, what is going to contribute to weight gain is a surplus of calories. Always. That is what determines weight gain or weight loss is where the calorie balance is. So there are certain foods that are going to be more calorically dense and they're going to equate to more energy that you are consuming. But unless it's 3,500 calories plus, then certain foods can't make you gain weight. So it's important to remember that Foods are just a part of strategy. They are something that we can utilize to use in our favor. And sometimes it is more strategic to eat more nutrient-dense, voluminous foods so that we can feel fuller. And other times it's much more strategic to eat more calorie-dense foods for a variety of reasons, right? There are different roles for those types of foods in our lives, but there is no food that's going to make you fat. And it might, again might be some scale fluctuations, but it's not going to be from fat gain necessarily. It will be for another reason. So the next myth directly follows from certain foods cause weight gain, which is a myth. The next myth is that eating fat will make you fat. So eating butter, eating cream will make you fat. So think about what I've been saying. You guessed it. Fat cannot make you fat. What makes you gain body fat is going to be a surplus of calories. Fat is a macronutrient. It has nine calories per gram. But at the end of the day, fat plays a role in our body and we don't gain body fat just from eating dietary fat. We gain body fat from eating more calories than our body is using in a day to exist. So the next one addresses a very similar myth. But again, I got to hit them all because I know everyone has heard one of these at some point is that carbs are fattening. So this is the same as everything else. This is the same as specific foods that could cause weight gain, myth. The same as fat that will make you fat, dietary fat that will make you gain body fat, myth. Carbs are not fattening. Now what happens is when we eat carbs, our body retains a little bit of water. When we have one gram of carb, we typically um, retain one gram of water. That's why when people eliminate carbs within a week, they've lost you know, like 10 pounds or something like that. It's because you haven't necessarily lost body fat, or at least a small percentage if you have, it's almost all water. It's really significant to note that because these are the stories that can be 
appealing and can pique your interest and make you feel like maybe you're doing something wrong is because people eliminate carbs and they lose all this weight. It's not going to be fat that they're losing in that first couple of days or couple of weeks even. It's going to be a loss of water because they aren't replenishing their carbohydrate stores that fill their body normally. Okay. So carbs are not fattening. Carbs have four calories per gram. And unless you are eating over your total daily energy expenditure, then you are not going to be gaining fat. Even if the scale might change, that does not mean that you are going to be gaining fat. Okay. Next myth is that you need to feel very, very hungry or you're not losing weight. This is one that I think is perpetuated in diet culture with the idea that you have to eliminate this, eliminate that, have none of that, and make sure that you are rigid and perfect in every single bite. When you do that and when you eliminate a vast majority of things that you are normally used to eating, then you probably will experience a lot of physical hunger and while you might be in a caloric deficit and you might be seeing, you know, some physical changes, some fat loss, some weight loss, if you are feeling constantly hungry all the time, that's probably not a good thing. Dieting is not the body's preferred activity. Dieting is an indication that our survival is threatened and so the body doesn't tolerate it. The body wants to be fed and fueled and nourished. And so if you feel starving, then you're either not eating enough, which is probably the case, or there might be an element of emotional hunger. So if you are eating enough, but you're still feeling a lot of that hunger, it's worth checking in if it is more of an emotional hunger. If it's really urgent and you feel the need to satisfy it immediately or else, because true hunger kind of ebbs and flows and it's a little bit more gentle. So if it's really extreme, it's either that you're not eating enough or if you are eating enough and you still have it, there could be an emotional component, meaning you might have used food in the past to cope with certain things. And when it's removed, as it is in a lot of these diet culture diets and trends where they're very rigid, then you have lost those sources of comfort. And that's not to say that we want to put them back in necessarily, but it's really important to be able to go internally and do that work so that you can manage that emotional hunger and make it not so present in your life, which is something that I do with my clients every single day. And it's very helpful to have a trained coach be able to walk you through that process of how to manage that emotional hunger. But let's come back to the myth. You need to feel starving or you're not losing weight. And maybe this is one that you've seen. Maybe it's one that has just been implicit over your life where you're like, well, if I'm not hungry, then I must not be losing weight. And the clients over the years that I have seen that have the most success are those that normally eat a certain you know, set of meals throughout the day. And when they go into a caloric deficit, meaning eating less than they're burning in a day, they eat a lot of the same things. They just eat a little bit less of them. And it's a really powerful illustration that you don't need to overhaul your life in order to create physical change. You can meet yourself where you are and just make some subtle adjustments. The difference is that it requires patience and it requires consistency. When someone is in a caloric deficit, depending on the intensity of the deficit, starvation and hunger 
really should not be a part of that. So if you are on a diet, you might feel a little bit hungry, you might feel a little bit uncomfortable, but if you are feeling really extreme levels of hunger, then you need to stop doing what you're doing (laughs) or at least get help of a coach to be able to figure that out with you. The next myth that I have, I just wrote the one word and I've talked about this, this on the podcast. I'm very passionate about this, but cleanses. Like, need I say more? It's just a myth that your body needs cleanses. It doesn't. The body doesn't need a juice cleanse for health. It has systems in place to cleanse your body every time you eat. Now, oftentimes people can feel better on a cleanse, but that's not because they're on the cleanse necessarily. That's just because they've eliminated a lot of the foods that don't suit them well. And because of that, you're like, oh, this cleanse is working. But in reality, it's not so much about eliminating the foods and then doing a juice cleanse. You can eliminate some of those foods, but replace them with much more strategic options that you can still reap the benefits and feel so much better without having to do a stupid juice cleanse. So this might be another one that you will see at the beginning of the year of, you know, with all of the information with diets and New Year's resolutions and all of that, which I'm a fan of and I I love setting those goals, but within the right context. So if you see cleanses, if you see juice cleanses, weight loss cleanses, detox teas, run away, run as far as you can in the other direction because they are neither legitimate nor are they necessary so cleanses big x on that they are a myth no go (laughs) the last myth that i want to address here today is the idea of good foods and bad foods this is one that i have talked at length about on the podcast there are no good or bad foods when you speak of them in those terms you are giving them morality as if you are a good person if you eat this and as if you are a bad person if you eat this foods are nutritionally different but morally neutral foods are nutritionally different but morally neutral meaning They have a different makeup of the micro and macronutrients that make them up at any time. Any food has a makeup of macro and micronutrients. And different foods are going to have different makeups, different nutritional values. However, they are morally neutral. They are not good. They are not bad. Now, there can be strategic foods, but that's going to be very subjective for the person who's eating them. Like for me... I have used lemon poppy seed cake, which by the way, my sister-in-law got me this lemon poppy seed cake for my birthday. We've had it at all of the weddings in our family. It is my favorite. It's so delicious. And I got to bring home like the other half of the cake and I've had it in my fridge. And I have literally had some every single day for the last like 10 days. And I've used it in a very strategic way. I've been lifting a lot in the gym and I've set some really big goals physically for myself. And so the night before, I will often have something that I know will be like, all right, a little extra carbs for tomorrow's workout, for tomorrow's lift. I want to be ready. And sometimes that's cake. There are places for it. Now, granted, am I eating cake all day, every day? No, because that's not what's most strategic for me and my goals and my body. But we can't blanket label foods as good or bad when we don't have the same goals as someone else. 
this is what can fuel the diet mentality that there are some foods that we should be afraid of and there are other foods that we should eat even though it's torturous and we hate them. And this is what creates a really poor relationship with food is we start to believe these things about it as if it has this power over us versus looking at it as just strategy, looking at food as something where you can say, could I use this here? How could I use this here? Could this help me here? And to make choices accordingly, because there are times and places for most foods if you want to work them in in a strategic way. And so keep that in mind that as you pursue any type of health goal, that any food you could question how it could work in your favor in some way, whether it's eating cake before a big lift the night before, or whether it's eating a chicken and kale salad. I don't know, but there are times and places for foods and times and places for different nutrient profiles. There's no such thing as a good or a bad food. There is just strategy with which you can use it to achieve your goals. So I hope today that you have learned something. I hope that I have debunked a myth that maybe has plagued you before. I know that growing up and being around this type of advertising and media definitely skewed my perception of what health was. And so learning some of these basics and reminding myself of them every day really helped me turn down the internal noise that would come as a result of these things that I would see online or in TV shows. So I hope that you have learned something today. I hope that it has been helpful and that it will ease your mind as you might start to see things that you feel like you need to know that there's some secret that you don't yet have access to. It's not true. There are just a few things that it's important to learn and important to apply relative to your goals and to be patient and consistent with those habits. So with that, I will close out today's episode. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you next week. Are you ready to lose weight, but you don't know where to start? I have something for free that can help. Here at Brain Diet, I offer a free set your custom macros call. On this call, I'll want to know what your goals are and set you on the nutritional path to achieving them. This is a private call with me where I get all the information about you and your body so I can deliver a custom calorie and macronutrient count that when implemented will lead to weight loss in a kind and nourishing way. And if you're ready to hire a coach to walk you through every step of your weight loss journey, I'll tell you everything you need to know about that too. So if it's your time to start losing weight in a sustainable, healthy, and nourishing way, sign up for this free set your custom macro call at the link in the show notes. I'll see you soon. Thank you.